Well, hi, friends. My name is Katie, and I'm so grateful to be here with you today. We have the privilege of continuing into week two of our marriage series called Always, where we are learning to build a marriage that lasts. But if you're not married, I want you to know that hopefully you're learning some really good tools for when you get married, or even just how to treat people really well, because we all know people, right? Okay, say hello to the person next to you so that we know that we know, we know somebody. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. So Jason did such a great job last week of connecting uh, us to this series, talking about the commitments that we make and the vows that we take. And we today are going to move those a little farther down the line and talk about how to live out those vows in the everyday, when the bird seed is out of our hair and when our ears have stopped ringing from the DJ speakers at our wedding. Did you guys do bird seed? Rice? Okay. There's all kinds of different things that are used, so I hope that you get that reference. But we're going to talk about how to walk it out in the everyday as we're living out those vows, especially in relation to the way that we communicate with each other and what we do when conflict comes, because conflict will come. And we're going to talk about that. But before we get started, I want to make sure that we welcome everybody because we are one church stretched out across miles and time zones. And so whether you're watching at home or online, uh, on TV, or if you're at one of our physical locations, we just want you to know that we love you. And we are so grateful that you are part of this time with us. Uh, So before we get into talking about marriage, I want to make sure that we remember two very important things about marriage. The first is that we need to remember that God put the marriage together. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10, verse 8. Jason read this last week, and we're going to read it again. And the two will become one flesh so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. God's heart and design for marriage is that we are one, which sounds really hard because we're definitely two people, right, with different brains and different hearts. But that merging and connecting is because he knows that we will be better together. He created that intensity in marriage, and that matters. The second thing that we need to remember is that our marriage is what God is doing in the world. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for for Christ. Our marriage is what God is doing in the world. Uh, We were intended to reflect the power and the love of God through the relationships that we have. The way that we treat one another shows a lot about what we believe about God. And so it's so important that we're thinking about that as we're married. Another, Another way of saying that is be subject to one another. Make other people matter. Put others before yourself. We've got to do that. When we commit to an always marriage Uh, We've got to remember that our world is constantly moving and changing, and there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of times it feels like the world is trying to pull apart what God has put together. Marriage is kind of wild when you think about it. I was just talking with David the other day because it feels like yesterday we were dating and taking long walks in the park, which he did not want to do, but he did because he loved me. Uh, And we were eating out at nice restaurants with no children And then all of a sudden you get married and you're waking up with bedhead, brushing your teeth next to each other in the bathroom and like setting up retirement plans. It's wild and it goes so fast, right? I actually want to show you a few pictures of of us. This is us on our wedding day. We were babies. Uh, Here's another one from our honeymoon because I have to tell you, David is so sweet. Our honeymoon was my very first plane ride. And so he proved to me how kind and patient he was because the whole time I was holding on to his arm and the seat. 
uh, he probably still has the marks because I was so sure that metal bird was going to go straight down. Um, I also had never seen a palm tree before, and we, or we honeymooned in Florida. And so I was obsessed the whole time with palm trees and orange trees. I knew that oranges came from trees. I'd never seen one on a tree. He's amazing. I want to fast forward uh, to 18 years later, and this is us this past Christmas, right before all of the Christmas Eve services at West happened. Uh, there are now six of us. It happens fast, right? But I want to tell you that uh, I need to share with you that I'm not a marriage expert. I'm looking at all of you as I say that because I need you to know that. I'm a student of marriage. Uh, marriage has been a classroom for me, but I am in no way an expert, but I am somebody who has learned a lot because David and I, through the course of those 18 years and hopefully many, many more to come, have had some of the highest mountaintop amazing moments and we have had some of the most devastating bottom of the barrel experiences. But what's powerful to me is what happens in the next picture. Give it a minute. I think it's going to be great. That's David in a Nacho Libre mask. Uh, marriage is hard. And again, we have experienced devastating, challenging things, but also some of the most amazing things. But for me, marriage, the awesome, treasured part of marriage is what happens in the everyday. Um, this is David <laughs> reading a book to Bo, and Bo wanted David in a Nacho Libre mask. So guess what? David put on the Nacho Libre mask. He also um, doesn't know that I'm showing this, but I didn't put it on social media. <laughs> I haven't put it on social media because I thought, you know, he probably wouldn't like that. But now it's definitely going to be on social media. Uh, but the power in this picture for me is that marriage happens. It's built in the everyday, in the way that we communicate with one another, in the way that we connect with one another, in the way that we pay attention to one another. We've got to be willing to communicate in the everyday, and also in the conflict. Um, and you also need to have your phone with you every once in a while so you can take a picture when you see your husband reading to your son in a Nacho Libre mask, because you never know when you're going to need to show that picture to someone, right? That was fun. Um, and always marriage makes communication a top value, a top priority. We have to value communication in any relationship, but especially in a marriage relationship, because we are two people who are becoming one, and that's hard enough as it is, so we've got to communicate. A disclaimer, though, because I think it's also important as we navigate through what we're going to talk about today. We're not talking about super deep-rooted issues. We're not talking about relationships and conflict where there is abuse. If you are in a situation where there is deep-rooted sin issues or conflict that is so big that you just have not been able to overcome, if there is abuse that you are experiencing, we want you to seek help immediately for that. We're not talking about that today. Today, we're talking about how we can get better at the way that we talk to each other in the normal everyday conflict that comes up when two people are becoming one. Or maybe when you show a picture of your husband in a Nacho Libre mask, I don't know. Because in the midst of our busy lives, we have hundreds of small, seemingly insignificant moments and battles within our own homes. Most of them are small and goofy, uh, but some of them can build up and become really big things. I don't know if you are on social media, but every once in a while I see these really funny uh, Twitter things that are talking about marriage, and I want to share a few with you because some of them are really funny, and some of them make us think, ooh, I should probably talk to my spouse about that. Uh, this first one says, dating, can't wait to see you again. Marriage, part of your knee was on my side of the bed last night. <laughs> it's lovely. 
the next one. Before marrying someone, listen long and hard to the sounds of their chewing because that's the soundtrack for the rest of your life. David and I weren't on Twitter when we got married, but that would have been helpful uh, just to know. Next one, welcome to marriage. Here's the new way you fold towels. Can I tell you, David and I, I feel like in the course of our 18 years have changed how we fold towels many times. And it actually frustrates our mothers the most because when they come, they want to help us fold towels and we don't even know how we do it anymore. All right. Marriage is just asking, is it safe to go in after one spouse spent a long time in the bathroom? (laughs) Bless. Last one, I promise. I wish my wife would be more like Jeff Bezos and step away from Amazon. (laughs) I I think that one is just for me. That'll be fine. So couples, on average, argue about 312 times a year. Useless fact, normally the arguments last eight to 10 minutes. I don't know why that's important, but I thought it was interesting because that adds up to nearly 3,000 minutes a year that we are arguing. So if you're bad at that, your marriage is probably gonna struggle, right? So we want to learn how to have an always marriage. We've got to learn how to communicate and understand each other. The top five things that people argue about, I don't think you're going to be surprised. The first one is free time, how much you have, how you're going to spend it. For some of you on a day off, you want to clean the house. Others of you want that to be the last thing that you do. Some of you want to go explore. Others want to stay home and watch TV. Some of you just want to sit and look at each other in the eyes, and you're probably married to the person that does not want to do that with you, right? (laughs) Free time, how you're going to spend it. The next thing the couples fight about, the second thing is money. How you're going to make it, how you're going to spend it, what you're going to do if you're not making any, what your goals are, how you want to save. Usually in in a marriage, there's a spender and a saver, and that kind of goes back and forth through the years. That's something that you need to talk about. And I will tell you, um, just as a note, 32% of couples in the surveys that I've been reading say that they wish they would have talked more about money before they got married. And I just want to put a plug in because here at Fountain Springs Church, we have incredible premarital counseling and we navigate things like budget and finances and what you think about that because chances are you might not have grown up the same way. We also, if you're already married or if you're not interested in marriage, we have Bible studies that talk about money. I just think that's important. Not in my notes, but it's a plug I wanted to make. Uh, The third thing that couples fight about most is housework. (laughs) This is just so funny to me because we have kids that are old enough to do housework, so we don't really fight about that anymore. But uh, housework, who's going to do it? And how often are you going to clean the house? Are you one of those people that needs everything spick and span before you go to bed? Or are you cool with dishes piling up over the sink and into the living room? I don't know. You should probably get on the same page about that, right? Uh, Physical intimacy, I'm already getting right in the face, but uh, one of the things that I would note with that is you got to talk about it. It sounds awkward and weird, but you have to talk about it. You have to to talk through expectations and understandings, and that's all I'm going to say about that. And then extended family, (laughs) extended family is the fifth Main thing that couples fight about, five out of five that couples fight about most. Um, and I'm going to tell you that I really love mine. And, and so there we go. Uh, I'm shocked that they didn't mention the proper way to put toilet paper on the spinner. But that might have been number six, okay? I don't know. I didn't see number six. They only showed us the top five. But there we go. Uh, Dr. John Gottman, who's a marriage and family counselor, said that 69% of marriage conflicts are actually never solved. 
And that literally means that in our relationships, we're recycling the same conversations over and over and over again. We literally just get so tired that we stop fighting about it until the next time we think about it, right? I think we're tired. The question that I asked when I saw that was how do we fight for each other instead of against each other? How do we do it? And I think the first thing that we need to remember is where our fights come from. Because this is likely true in any relationship that you're a part of. Our fights come from expectations and experience. Conflict is that beautiful space in between. So expectations are what we hope for. Um, sometimes we communicate them really well. Sometimes we don't communicate them really well. Sometimes they're too high, sometimes they're too low. How we're gonna parent, how we'll spend money, what time we're gonna be home after we go hang out with our friends. All of those things are what we hope for. Um, Valentine's Day uh, was recently, and one of the funny things that I notice about couples is uh, sometimes one of the spouses will say, oh, Valentine's isn't that big of a deal for me, honey. Don't worry about it. And then they don't get flowers or like a, a parade or a band or something amazing, and they're really mad at their spouse. Expectations have to be communicated. If you want a parade for Valentine's Day, but you tell your spouse you're totally cool with whatever, that's not going to end well. And that's kind of mean, right? I actually let David off the hook a few years ago because I said, please don't buy me flowers on Valentine's Day. Buy me flowers on like a Tuesday. Like, just buy them anytime. But he didn't know that. That brought a lot of relief that he wasn't having to like live up to something amazing that Hallmark made. Expectations, what we hope for. Experience is what actually happens. Ah. <sighs> This happens a lot in our house because I'm like, I'll make dinner, don't worry about it, I love it. And then at 4.30, I'm like, who's gonna make dinner? So we, we have conflict because David's like, I thought you said you were gonna make dinner. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did, I'm gonna make dinner. But now I'm mad and I don't know who I'm mad at because I don't wanna make dinner. Um, but many times I think we're tired and that conflict is the space in between. Our experience is different for everybody. You experience something differently than I do. So that space in the conflict is pretty big because what we're hoping for and what actually happens is this constant cycle of living, again, in any relationship that we're in. Many times I think because we're tired, we often buy into this lie that our marriages, our relationships would be better if there wasn't conflict. Um, but I need to tell you that the fact that conflict exists doesn't mean that your marriage is bad. It means that there are two living, breathing people in your marriage. And that's a good thing. We can work with that, right? Uh, Les and Leslie Parrott, who are marriage experts, say this. Conflict is the price we pay for deepening intimacy. Fighting may actually mean that there's something worth fighting for. And that's good news. We can work with that. But we need to pay attention to how we fight. Couples who fight for each other seek resolution, not victory. When one spouse wins, the couple, the relationship loses. You're no longer spouses or partners, you're opponents, you're adversaries. That's not God's best. Fighting for each other is really about making three simple choices, challenging but simple. We don't have to guess what they are though because they are in the Bible. We're gonna go to James chapter one, verses 19 through 20. James wrote this about 2,000 years ago to a group of beleaguered, exhausted believers who were needing help learning how to handle conflict in a way that would honor the Lord. 
And what I love about James is that he doesn't just tell us God's best, he talks to us and encourages us to go live it. And that's what he's doing here. So James chapter one, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In an always marriage, you have to listen more. James elevates listening over speaking. This isn't the only place in scripture where we're told to listen first and talk later. Uh, And when he says be quick to listen, it actually translates into outrunning ourselves. When we are quick to listen, we're to be faster and better at listening than we were the last opportunity we had to listen. Listening involves paying attention, eye contact, focus. We're not listening to speak, we're listening to understand. We're listening to connect. Going back all the way to my preschool report card, my mom has it, and until now, listening has not always been my forte, uh, because I really enjoy a good talking when I'm the one talking. I just like it, and I always got in trouble. I got in trouble as a student for talking too much, and I got in trouble as a teacher for talking too much, and so I have a list of questions that I just wanna share with you, because these are things as I'm navigating a conversation with my husband in marriage or if it's with a friend that help me remember that I want to listen. Listen, Katie, here they are. Do you want to be right or be kind? Do you want to win or to learn? Do you want to rant or reconcile? Listening helps us make the right choice. Proverbs 29 says, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Listening brings calm. Listening helps us understand. It helps us understand our partner's perspective. And understanding helps bring us, brings us closer together. Three things happen when we listen, and they're huge. The first is that our spouse will trust us more. We become a safe space. When we listen and don't just jump into an argument, or we don't just rush to fix it. We're communicating to our spouse, to our partner, that we are are here to listen and to hear them because they matter. The second thing that happens is that you will find common ground. Uh, An example of this in my life for David and I would be that uh, we're navigating a lot of things with kids, different kids, different situations, and we may not agree on the resolution that we'd like to see, but we can both agree that we want what's best for our kids. And that's where our common ground starts. That helps. The last thing that can happen when you listen is that you will find the issue behind the issue. The real problem is rarely what we're fighting about. It's important also to be quick to listen to ourselves. What is this making me feel? Why am I feeling that way? What is this conversation drudging up? We're so quick to talk that often we forget to listen to ourselves. Arguments about money could mean insecurity and control. It's drudging up these feelings of insecurity and control. Arguments about kids might bring up feelings of inadequacy. I don't even know what I'm doing as a parent, right? Physical intimacy arguments may be welling up feelings of rejection or not being good enough. Arguments about work may leave us feeling disrespected and so we we start arguing and fighting about that. So James says to listen more. What's next? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry 
because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In an always marriage, talk less. Ouch. Yes. Uh, This is equally important. The words we use can create a lot of damage. Not listening is one kind of sinful response, but how we talk can have a far more negative reaching impact on our relationship. Proverbs 17, 27 through 28 says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. The point that is being made in James and in Proverbs is that we need to be self-controlled with our words. It's easy to reduce our spiritual maturity filter from our heart to our mouth when we're angry or upset, when we're frustrated, when we're afraid, but we've got to. We've got to. Scripture shows us that we can do a lot of harm when we're quick to speak, and I literally made a list of different things in Scripture where it talks about what damage we can do with our words when we don't slow down to listen and hold our tongues. Lying, not being truthful. Rudeness, unkind communication. Gossip, sharing information needlessly and hurtfully. Slander, untrue accusations. Quarreling, looking for and creating arguments. Divisiveness, create unnecessary division. Disrespect, talking in a way that diminishes others. Clamor, verbal combat. And boasting, celebrating yourself. The best way to stop being angry and acting out of anger is to slow down your tongue and get connected with the Lord. Our words cannot be taken back. Be intentional about when you speak and what you say when you do. So listen more, talk less. Let's go back to James. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In an always marriage, calm down. I feel like I say that to my children a lot, but I also say it to myself a lot. They just don't know it. James is not referring to anger like we might think of it, this passing moment of frustration. He's speaking of a deep emotion. Don't have a hair trigger. Be mindful if you're easily upset most of the time. He says be slow to speak, but also be slow to become angry. Is your anger... uh, Are your actions in anger seeking the anger or the resolution? Anger is under our control. Have you ever been uh, in a conversation with somebody, arguing with somebody, and the phone rings? So like, and then, hi, how are you? Everything's great, fantastic. Oh, yeah, we'll see you soon, bye, click, and then, right? Anger is under our control, but it's so easy to just go when we're upset. I think James knew that we would have an issue with this, Uh, So he added some reasoning in in this text. And I want to read the CEV translation of verse 20. If you are angry, you cannot do any of the good things that God wants done. James is imploring us, listen more, talk less, calm down. Because if you don't, you're missing out on the stuff that God has made you to do in your marriage. Because our marriage can be such a ministry to the world but also in our own individual lives, in our daily interactions, when we have disagreements, when we fight, when love is a battlefield. I will not sing that song for you, but I really want to right now. Are we fighting for each other? Are we seeking resolution? Jesus did not come to make us nicer people. 
He came to make us new people. People who take care of each other and show each other him. And that begins with our spouse, with our beloved. We can do that through our marriages. I want to show you a picture. It is called a living root bridge. And I'm going to read to you uh, the, the text uh, that I found from it because it was such a word picture for me as I processed walking out relationship uh, and, and listening to James 1, 19 through 20. A living root bridge is a suspension bridge formed of living plant roots by tree shaping. The bridge is alive. It's bananas. The Kazi people live in the northern part of India and it receives the most rainfall in the whole world. And travel between villages is cut off in monsoon season. These bridges keep them connected. They're created by guiding and growing tree roots year after year after year, shaping them and moving them. It takes 50 years for a living root bridge to be built. The hard and tireless work and struggle produces an unbreakable connection that keeps these people together. God invites us to do the same in our marriages and in our relationships. Intentionally, every time we communicate with each other, every time we argue, every time we listen and encourage, day after day, to make ourselves and our marriage stronger and better. So one of the ways that David and I have worked to do this uh, started with some simple advice we got in the first few weeks of our marriage. We literally got married, went on a honeymoon, and then came back and went to a marriage retreat <laughs> just to learn. We, we wanted to learn. Uh, but it's something called withholds. And <laughs> what we learned, I'm, it's going to sound awkward, but I'm going to tell you the way we learned it, and then we're just going to go from there. Uh, but it's a way to really get into a rhythm and a practice of not being kamikaze pilots with our anger if something upsets us, all right? So you choose a quiet time where you can be focused, no distractions. So do not be hungry or tired when you do this because if you were hungry or tired, it will not go well, right? Or if you're super mad about something, you need to just calm down. Quiet time, no distractions. And the way we learned it, you sit in a chair and they sit in a chair and you're facing each other, which you need to know about me, I'm just gonna naturally make awkward. Um, because I can't not just stare at somebody without, you know, being silly. But it worked. We were fine. Um, so you take turns going back and forth sharing. So the first thing that you do is share a positive withhold. So something that maybe uh, your spouse did for you or something you noticed about them, and maybe in the moment you weren't able to share, but you remembered, and so you're going to share it now. So one of mine might be David. Uh, you went and filled my car up with gas during the polar vortex when it was negative 30. And I just want you to know that that really meant a lot to me because I was warm and at home and I was watching my favorite show on TV, drinking coffee, and you were out freezing just to fill my car up with gas. I just want you to know that really meant a lot to me. Great, okay? So then the next thing that you do is share a frustration or hurt, okay? So um, David might share for his frustration or hurt, Katie. I love you so much. When you didn't fill your car up with gas, when it was 60 degrees out, and then the next day it was a polar vortex, uh, and I had to go get gas for you, that was a bummer. Um, could you maybe not do that again? I love you so much. I forgive you. Thank you. But let's not do that again. Fantastic. I hear you, David. I filled up my tank this week. I was really proud of myself. Um, so then you share another positive withhold. So let's not make it about cars. Um, so I might say to David, uh, David, you wore that black and white flannel the other day, and it looked great. 
uh, you're such a hunk, and I think you should wear that more often. Or I would say, so I have these pair of overalls. Um, they're, I love them, and you'll probably see me wearing them because I love them so much. Uh, but David sometimes sends me um, pictures of farmers wearing overalls when I wear those overalls. <laughs> So a withhold might be, David, I wore those denim overalls the other day, and you know how much I love those. And you did not laugh at me once, and you didn't send me any of those pictures of the farmers wearing the overalls all day long. And I just want you to know that meant a lot to me, because I really love those overalls. So thank you for your restraint. That meant a lot. Okay, da-da, withhold. So that's, a, the, that's the withhold. And the beauty of that, the power in that, is that you're looking at each other in the eyes. So it's easy to remember that there is a person on the other side of your words. I think so often when we're frustrated or we're angry, we forget that that's a human being that we love and that matters to us. And those withholds also help us deepen that uh, desire and, and just trigger something in our memory to make sure we're sharing the positive good stuff too. Um, and it's one of our favorite things to do. Even I would say when we are in the lowest of lows, uh, that practice can help us pull back that chasm between us. And it's such a powerful way to walk out James 1, 19 through 20. Listen more, talk less, calm down. And what does James say will happen when we do this? We get to do the good things that God has made us to do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this time. Lord, I thank you for the way that we are each so unique. Um, God, that you have purposed us for specific things. And Lord, for some of us, uh, you have us doing so much ministry, even just through our relationships and our marriages. God, I pray that you would help us to walk out um, the power of your word as we listen more and talk less and calm down. Lord, that as we are becoming who you want us to be, um, we can do that through our relationships as well. God, that is so powerful to my heart and so encouraging and exciting. And I thank you for the way that you love us so much that you help us and lead us. God, if there are couples struggling, um, if there are people struggling, I pray that you would help them even through that withhold practice, Lord, that that might be a way to just step in to applying your truth into their relationships and their marriages. God, we love you and we thank you that above all you see us and you know us and you love us no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.